Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. We are in this series, Turning Trauma into Triumph, and uh, we've been looking, listen, if you've not, if this is your first week with us and you've not been a part of this series, it is unbelievable. We're getting a lot of feedback, really, really good one. I encourage you, go back and watch the previous uh, messages Pastor John's unpacked. Really, really good. What we're doing is we're looking and studying the life of Joseph. And today we're gonna be in Genesis 39. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're gonna be in Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible, we're gonna have it on the screen. And really what we're gonna tackle is three different temptations that we see in Genesis 39. The first temptation is the temptation of power. The second temptation is the temptation of, which reminds me, if you have kids in the room, and you've never checked out Journey Kids Children's Ministry, today would be a great day to check that out. Our, our, literally, our teams, both campuses, are ready to receive kids right now, and you don't have to. I actually almost prefer you don't. I'd rather hear about the awkward conversation on the way home than, than not. So it's up to you, but we are gonna talk about sex. And then the third temptation that we're gonna talk about, I'm gonna leave as a cliffhanger, and we'll get there towards the end as we unpack what God is doing. Now, when we talk about this idea of sex or sexual temptation, there's a couple camps that people fall into. There's one camp that says, man, I'm so grateful. There's something I've been struggling with. I'd love to hear something that could help me with that. And then there's another camp that says, this may be good for them, but I'm good. I don't really have any struggles in this area. And I would just caution you if you find yourself in the second camp. Bob Russell gives us a good warning. He says, if it happened to the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, and if it happened to the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, And if it happened to the most spiritual man in the Old Testament, David, then it could happen to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, a good, good, dear friend of mine, and a strong believer, but he he, he wasn't raised as a believer, and so he did what non-believers do growing up, and at the age of 16, his dad came into his bedroom to have a conversation about the birds and the bees. And so this is at 16, some of you are laughing because you know it's a little bit late. If you're not laughing, you don't know that yet, but that's late, okay? (laughs) So the dad comes into the bedroom and he says, hey son, I wanna talk to you about sex. And my buddy just snapped back, sure dad, what do you wanna know? (laughs) He said his dad didn't say a word, he just walked back out and they never talked about it again. Let's dive into Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse one says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him him there. Now, if you were here with us last week, I'm gonna give you a pop quiz. Okay, Lake County online, a pop pop quiz real quick. Who sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites? The brothers, awesome. Y'all, you get an A. The brothers, so the brothers sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites sell Joseph to Potiphar. And so now we find Joseph, he's in a country and in a culture that he doesn't know. He's surrounded and hearing a language he doesn't understand. And there are people listening online at Lake County and Apopka that you, you understand exactly what he feels because English is your second language and you know the vulnerability of being in a new place. 
And Joseph is finding himself in this place where he doesn't understand the culture or the language. And as if that's not overwhelming enough, his new boss, his slave master is Potiphar. And Pastor John kind of alluded to this, this idea of captain of the guard doesn't do it justice. His real title, as one biblical scholar would have said, it's better to call him the chief executioner. Listen, if you thought working for your boss is bad, I want you to imagine being a slave, working for someone with the title and nickname chief executioner. And now you're starting to feel the amount of stress and weight that Joseph is going through. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Listen, regardless of what circumstances you're going through, the Lord can be with you. I don't know what you're going through in one area of your life, but God could still give you favor. I don't understand how bad your circumstances are, but the Lord can still be with you and allow you to prosper no matter where you find yourself in. And that's the story of Joseph that we're uncovering. Verse three and four, it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. What's interesting here is, is Joseph didn't ask for favor. God gave it to him. Let me ask you this. Where did Joseph's success come from? Okay, Popka, Lake County, uh, online. Where did Joseph's success come from? God, okay. One more time. Where does your success come from? It's a lot easier to say God gave Joseph, but I worked for mine, right? No, 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 no. Joseph worked just as hard. God gave him that. I understand you have gifts, talents, but God gave you those. Just as God gave Joseph that favor and success, he gives it to you as well. It's not because of you. Let's keep going. From the time he, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph keeps getting favor and favor and favor and promoted and promoted and promoted until the point where he's in charge of everything except Potiphar's menu. And I can respect that as a picky eater. I don't care how big I get, I'm picking out my chicken nuggets, right? Any picky eaters, can I get an amen? Like, I don't care how big I get, I'm picking out my menu. And Potiphar's like, listen, I'm gonna give him in charge of everything except my menu. And what's interesting in this is when God gave Joseph a couple uh, messages earlier, when God gave Joseph a dream about favor, what did he do? He went around and told everybody. Now God's given him not a dream, but actual favor, and he's not telling anybody. You see, what we're seeing is a, a maturation process in Joseph. What we're seeing is him being mature in how to handle the favor of God, and God is giving him more because he can handle that more because he's maturing right before our eyes. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're going through a maturation process. What you used to do ain't what you're currently doing, and God's saying, I'm gonna give you more favor. But if you're currently doing what you used to do, maybe you're gonna run into the same problems. And Joseph is maturing right before our eyes, and God keeps giving him favor and success. But he's still a slave. And it's, it's almost hard to, to miss that here. Verse seven, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, 
come to bed with me. I wanna break this into two parts. After a while, his master's wife took notice of him. What you need to understand is when God gives you success and favor, there are going to be people that take notice of you, and it's not always gonna be good. When you get success, people will take notice of you, and it's not always good. The second part is this idea that says, come to bed with me. Pastor and uh, theologian Tim Keller says, this isn't a invitation, this is more of a command. He says the better way of translating that is, is, bed, uh, is sex now. It's not come to bed with me, it's sex now. And this is where we see the first temptation of power raise its head. She's using her power as Potiphar's wife to demand sex as if she gets whatever she wants because of who she is. And she uses her power to fulfill what she wants, not to bless others because Joseph had power, didn't he? But he used the power he had to bless others, not his own desires. And so now we see this temptation of power. And I wanna ask you, what do you do with the power God's given you? And we're gonna tackle that a little bit later, but start to process that. None of us wanna admit that we have power, but you need to get comfortable with God has given you power. God has given you influence. The question isn't if you have power, the question is what are you doing with it? And she used it to fulfill her own desires. You see, as we get more and more favor, as, as we get more favor, there is gonna be more temptations. They say, scientists and studies say that there are more people that get hurt and die going down the mountain than up the mountain. You see, there's this relaxing after you've succeeded that you tend to let your guard down and that's when temptation comes. So she asks him or commands him, him and this is what he says. It says, but he refused. I want you to imagine, we already know that Joseph's a good looking man, he's well built, he's handsome, he's successful, he's in his 20s, he's single, and he refuses. He, he could have had any reason in the world to say yes. I mean, it could have been just out of revenge because he's a slave. He could have said, I don't even know if I wanna have sex with you, but I am just to get back at my master. That could have been an option. Think about the excuses he could have said, he could have said, my father was overindulgent with me. My mother died when I was a little boy. My brothers abused me. I'm in a foreign country. The morals here are atrocious. I'm repressed as a slave. I'm lonely. It's to my career advantage. He has all those options and he says no. And he practices abstinence before marriage. And he gives two reasons why. These are really, really important why he says why. The first reason he says, I can never do that to Potiphar. I can't disrespect my master like that. After all he's going through, he's worried about honoring the guy that's dishonoring him. And I don't know if you've ever been in a dishonoring position, either in a family or in a workplace, and it almost feels like because I've been dishonored, I can dishonor. Just like, no, no, no matter how much I get dishonored, I can only honor out of love for God. And so his response is, I can't do such a disrespectful thing to Potiphar. That's the first one. The second thing he says, I can't do such a disrespect, disrespectful thing to God. And I want you to look at what he was doing. He was foreshadowing what takes place in the New Testament. You see, in the New Testament, Matthew 22, Jesus is hanging out, and some people, some of the Pharisees say, hey, can you just break it down? This is a lot. Can you just break it down? Simplify all you want us to do as Christians. Can you simplify it? And he said, it's easy to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's, that's a vertical love. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And why is Joseph saying he can't do this? Because he doesn't wanna, he doesn't wanna be disrespectful horizontally and he can't be disrespectful vertically. And he's saying, I gotta love God and I gotta love people. When you face temptation and you're not sure what to do, ask yourself, is it gonna be disrespectful to God or to others? And if the answer is yes, then you get out. 
That's how you define whether or not you need to uh, flee from a situation or get moving. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So this is not just a one-time deal. And he, it says already, we know that they live in the same house. So he lives with her in this big house and he also works for her. So he, every day he wakes up, he's got to guard up. I don't think it's too different than you and I. Every day we wake up, we got to guard up. And the day that we don't think we got to guard up, there's a problem, that's when we fall. You see, my friends in AA, they know this. That's why they say they take one day at a time. We're no different. We take one day at a time. We take one day at a time and we guard up every day. It goes on in verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me, sex now. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that she had left his cloak in her hand and he had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought, us to, uh, brought, us to, uh, brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So now she is completely misusing and abusing her power. And now what she is doing is she is falsely claiming he tried to rape her. And listen, we understand in our culture, we don't have to look far to see a, a, a misuse of power, right? But what God also says, if you're faithful with a little, I'm gonna give you more. So if you think you have a little, be faithful because God wants to give you more. And that comes in the form of power as well. And one of the biggest things I would love is for our country to rise up with strong, Christian, powerful people that know how to use it for good, not for self. That's what we need. And maybe God's preparing you for such a thing. And so now she has this complete misuse and abuse of power. And I wanna ask you a great question that Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, said. He says, what do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? This is, one of the, this is a great question. And again, we gotta get comfortable with this idea of power because nobody ever thinks they have power. You have power. You can go to somebody and say, I hate you, and it'll wreck them. That's power. You can go to somebody and say, I forgive you, and it will bless them. That's power. You can go to somebody and say, I love you. That's power. You might be, maybe you're the oldest one on your sport team. You have power. Maybe you're a parent. You have power. If you're a parent of teenagers, you don't think you have power anymore, but you do. You're like, hey, do you have power or do I? Because I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're a manager and you have employees. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're a CEO. Maybe, maybe you're a single and you're just in college. Listen, you have power. Don't say you don't have power. You have power. The question is, what do you do when you realize you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do with that power? Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can uh, stand adversity, but if you wanna test a man's character, give him power. Isn't that good? John Gordon says, great leaders lead with the power of love, not with the love of power. And so what happens in this moment, this moment comes and you got Joseph and, and all of a sudden he's in this situation and it says he immediately just runs. You see, in the New Testament, there's really only one central theme of what we're supposed to do when confronted with sexual temptation and that's run. That is the number one thing we're told to do in the New Testament is run. And sometimes what we tend to do is we wanna flirt with it and we wanna talk with it and we think we can manage sin and God's saying, no, 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 run. Run. I've been married almost 20 years, and it's by God's grace, an incredible, beautiful spouse. 
And I remember in our first couple years, I flew from Florida to Los Angeles for a youth pastor's conference. And I was supposed to meet a buddy there who lives in LA. And we were supposed to take in the whole conference together, stay together. And I, I fly in and, and something happened and he ended up having a problem and he couldn't, he couldn't be with me. And so now I find myself in a city all by myself in a hotel room all by myself. And I go down to the, to the restaurant that has a sports bar and I literally have my Bible open and I'm working on a message and there happens to be a high school reunion taking place. And so all these people are just getting hammered. And I see three different guys around the bar take their wedding rings off. And then this girl comes to me and she just fully hits on me. I'm in a city all by myself and I have a hotel room all by myself. And the only thing I could think of was the verse, the first Corinthians that says flee. It just says run, run, flee from sexual morality. All their sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I immediately think of this verse. I think of Joseph and I literally just run. I don't talk to her. I don't try to explain it. I don't ask her where she's from. I just run. And Joseph left his cloak and I left the check. I didn't even pay. I had to circle back later and apologize. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Here you go. Nothing like a pastor dining and dashing, right? And so, so literally I'm like, I just run. And I'm walking down downtown Los Angeles. And I got tears in my eyes because I didn't want a moment of satisfaction to ruin the greatest thing in my life. And I begin to, to weep and I begin to cry. And I said, God, I don't ever want to be in that situation where I can just take my wedding ring off and just act like nothing happened. And as I open my eyes, there's a tattoo parlor. And God said, well, I got a solution. And so I walk in the tattoo parlor and I said, hey, I want a wedding ring. We don't sell wedding rings. I said, no, 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 I want a tattoo. And they said, okay. What do you want it to look like? I'm like, I don't know, man. God didn't give me everything. I, I don't know. I said, I didn't want to wear it. So we like literally right there on the spot. It's the closest I've ever come to a Southern California gang. The whole place I found out re like as I come in is run by a gang. The, you know that, that game, you know, in elementary, like which one of these don't belong? That was me. I didn't belong. I did not belong in that place. And they sent me down and, and like my goal going in was to get a tattoo. But after I went in, my goal was just to get out. And so I'm in this scenario and I sit down and this is a true story. I sit down and he, they ended up being really nice. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And they ended up being really nice. And he asked me, you know, making small talk. So what do you do for a living? And I said, I said, I'm a pastor. And I never had this experience happen before that or after that. He said, oh, really? What's that? And it's Southern California, there's a lot of Catholics there. I said, well, it's kind of like a priest. And he said, okay, what's a priest? He had no idea. And so I got to unpack the gospel. And I told him everything I did, and his jaw drops. And this was his question. He goes, they pay you for that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, my man, you want a career change? He's like, nah, I'm good. So I got a tattoo, and it says my wife's name, TJ, on the box. Doesn't mean I'm foolproof, doesn't mean I won't make a mistake, 
but I don't ever want to sacrifice a moment of what I think is happiness and just risk the farm. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. I don't care how old or young you are, you still have a lot of potential sin down the road that we can all avoid. Doesn't matter what your past is, we can still avoid some. So when it comes to this idea, we wanna run. We just wanna run from sin. Don't flirt with it. It reminds me of the story of a, of a hunter who's, who's trying to hunt a bear and he finally comes across a bear and he's got his gun pointed at him and, and the bear says, hey, 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 hang tight, hang tight. And I know what you're thinking, this ain't a real story. You're right, the bear don't talk. Okay, so, so the bear says, hey, 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 hang tight, don't shoot me. I think there's a way that both of us can get what we want. And so the, the bear says, uh, what, do you, what is it you want? And the hunter says, well, I want a fur coat. And the hunter says to the bear, well, what do you want? He said, well, well I want a full stomach. And so they sit down and they start talking about it. And, and they just talk about it. And the hunter's like, maybe this will work. And then a couple moments goes by and there's silence. And a couple moments later, the bear walks away all by himself. And they ended up both getting what they desired. The, the hunter got a fur coat and the bear got a full stomach. It's just not how they thought it would go down. Listen, when you think you could sit your sin down and talk to it, that's when you've ruined. When you think you could sit your sin down and have a conversation with it, you don't get it. No, 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 you don't talk, you don't talk to your sin. You run from your sin. You don't, you don't try to explain, no, no, you run. You run from it. One of the things we've been looking at is a genogram. Pastor John, the past couple weeks, he's talked about this idea of genogram. And genogram is looking at kind of the past history of Joseph's family. And what I wanna talk about right here is, is this right here, between Esau and Jacob right here. It's cut off. If you look between Esau and Jacob, their brothers, it was cut off. Genesis 25 tells us why it was cut off, okay? And I wanna unpack this for you real quick. In Genesis 25, we see a story. And in this story... Esau is a hunter and he's going around and he's hunting and he is so hungry that he comes in and Jacob is cooking and Jacob is cooking and he's cooking stew. And it says that Esau was so hungry that he begged Jacob for some food. And Jacob said, just, I mean, like, can't you picture this as brothers? Jacob was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like if you, if you have boys in your home, you get this. You're like, nah, I'm good. I don't even want you looking at my food. So Jacob says, no. And Esau's really hungry. He says, like, man, please, can I have some stew? It smells good. He says, no, no. And he finally says, okay, I'll give you some stew if, if you give me your birthright. Now, a birthright was reserved for the oldest son. And it was double inheritance and double favor and a lot of other perks that came along with it. This is a big deal. Now, this is Jacob's dad, or this is Joseph's dad and uncle. So Joseph would have been really, really, really aware of this story, extremely aware. And so what ends up happening is Esau ends up trading his birthright for a bowl of stew. He gave up double inheritance for a bowl of stew. And you and I are thinking about that right now and we're like, that is the dumbest thing, like what a moron. But I think you and I have done that before in a lot of other ways, where we've traded something so small and insignificant for something so big that God already gave us or promised us. And I believe what was going on in this moment in Genesis 39, 
I believe Joseph was very aware of his family's dysfunction. And he said, not, not for me. I'm not giving away my birthright for a bowl of stew. As a matter of fact, I have some accountability friends and what we talk about a lot, we have for years, is we will, when we talk about this idea of sexual temptation, we say, hey, it's not worth a bowl of stew. That's just what we say to remind each other. And what I'll tell you is this, it's not worth a bowl of stew. Whatever sexual thing that you're thinking, it's not worth, I promise you, the price is greater with whatever you're thinking than the bowl of stew. I promise you. The price is always greater with sin. And so Joseph's got that in the back of his head. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk us through four quick lessons that we can learn from Joseph. We're gonna go through this really quick. The first one is this. Joseph takes inventory of his blessings, even as a slave. So Joseph is, is hit on. Joseph has this opportunity for temptation and he makes a really, really big decision. I mean, this is really important. He takes an inventory of what he has. He doesn't take an inventory of what he doesn't have. And that's why he leads, that's why it leads him to success. So many times when we're tempted, we think about what we don't have and then we go, you know what? I don't have that, so I'm not content. So yeah, I need that. But he says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna take an inventory of what I do have. And when you take an inventory of what you do have, it leads to contentment. Read Genesis 37. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. That's his response to the temptation. He takes an inventory of his blessings. And I, I, it's just so important what you take an inventory of. Are you taking an inventory of what you don't have or what you do have? And when you take an inventory of what you do have, it leads to contentment and contentment leads to a lack of temptation. It just does. The second thing is this, Joseph calls sin, sin. We live in a day and age where we're not, uh, we just can't do that. Or, or people don't wanna call sin, sin. Joseph wasn't scared to call sin, sin. Genesis 37 says, how then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, one of, one of the best ways to avoid temptation is never forget how horrific your sin actually is. You see, when I forget that it was my sin that put my Jesus on a cross, when I forget that, it makes it easy to sin. But when I am reminded that it was my sin, my abuse of power, my abuse of sex, whatever my sin is, my sin is what put my Jesus on the cross. And I need to remember that. And when I remember that, I want to avoid anything because that's my best friend. That's my Lord. That's my savior. And we don't want to get in this idea, well, just everybody does it or it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. It put my Jesus on the cross. Our sin is a big deal. And we need to call sin, sin. Doesn't mean you can't be redeemed, forgiven, but we can't play with it either. Third thing is this, Joseph created boundaries with her says he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He was trying to create boundaries. Vice President Mike Pence kind of got ridiculed for this several years ago. He had what's referred to as the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham rule, I live by it. Uh, our staff lives by it. The Billy Graham rule is this. I'm not gonna spend time with the opposite sex one-on-one -on -one alone anywhere at any time. That's just the Billy Graham rule. He got ridiculed for that. He got called sexist. He got called all these different things. And when you create boundaries, people will say, people that don't understand what you're doing, they're gonna knock that. 
And you just gotta go, I'm not here to please you, I'm here to guard up. I ain't here to please you, I, I wanna protect the greatest thing God's given me. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes. There was a day when one of, our, one of our boundaries in our house was I couldn't, and it probably still is, I don't know, I don't watch a lot of TV, I couldn't actually watch a rated R movie. And maybe that's still the case, there's, like, there's, there's a blocker on it, but I couldn't do that. Do I like rated R movies? Yeah, but I like my family a lot more. Some of y'all are gonna email me because I like rated R movies. <laughs> when I said that, I was talking about the passion of the Christ, right? Isn't that rated R? Yeah, get your mind out of the gutter, folks. Come on. Love the passion of the Christ. That's where my mind was at. I hear a lot of men, listen, I hear, I hear men from time to time, they'll say, hey, listen, um, I don't have to do that, I'm a man. I don't have to guard up, I don't have to do this, and they, and they take this manpower, and I would say, you're wrong for two reasons. One, you're not in, if you're a Christian, you don't get to decide anything the moment you call Jesus Lord, he decides what you do, not you. And the second thing is, is when you made a vow to love your wife like Christ loved the church, that meant you had to let go of some of the things you desire and figure out what does she desire. And so when it comes to this idea of creating boundaries, it's not always what you want or what feels good, it's what is wisest and best. And it's, it's different for everybody. I can't put one stamp boundary for everybody. It's, it's to your context, but I would say guard up. There was a, a, a pastor in the 80s, a successful pastor, and he had an affair. And he fell, and he fell hard. And then several years after that, he talks about it, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, several years back, I was asked in a forum what was one of the areas of my greatest strengths. What area would I not have to struggle in? And he answered without question, moral purity. He said, I really believed that at the time. But then, listen to what he says, but then Satan took an unguarded strength, and it became a double weakness. He took an unguarded strength and it became a double weakness. That's good. Number four, and this is where we get into the last temptation, rewards are eternal, but they're not immediate. You see, Joseph got accused of rape and he, the story ends in Genesis 39 with him going to prison. Joseph does everything right he has favor, he's doing everything right, and he gets thrown in prison. And this is where the third temptation comes in. It's the temptation of despair. And the definition for despair, I would say, is the absence of hope. And Joseph had a choice to have hope or to have no hope. And you might be in a situation with what you're going through and you have the choice to either despair or not. And I don't know what you're going through, but I don't, know if it's as bad as being a slave and then doing everything right, getting promoted and getting thrown in prison. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But let me just encourage you, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. That's the point of the cross, is that everything's redeemable, that God's still working. And so we got the temptation of power, we got the temptation of sex, and we got the temptation of despair. Don't lose hope. In Psalm 51, David has a prayer. It's absolutely beautiful. This is right after David has sexual sin and misuses power. He sleeps with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed. So he misuses power and he, and he fails in sexual sin. And then he prays Psalm 51, and I'm just taking parts of it because it's, it's all good, but I'm just gonna hit random parts. It says this, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit spirit to sustain me. This is a man that failed at two out of the three temptations I just talked about. And God says, this is a man after my own heart. You might be here today and you're like, pastor, I've already, I've already done two out of three. I've done three out of three. What do I do? Is there anything left in me? I said, absolutely. God called David a man after his own heart. So maybe you've already messed up. Maybe you already failed. Rich Velotis says this. I love this. He says, Adam and Eve hid behind a tree naked and covered in shame. Jesus hangs on a tree naked and conquers shame. The cross of Jesus is the great reversal. Don't lose sight of this, regardless of what you've done. There's not one perfect in this room or online or Lake County. There's not one perfect person. We've all messed up. The question is, what do we do from here? And my encouragement is, don't lose hope. Don't lose despair. Receive Christ's forgiveness and see what he has in store for you. Let's guard up because I think there's more for us in the future than in the past. Let's guard up. God has something in store for you and for me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We're so grateful for your kindness. We're grateful for your grace and mercy. And God, I thank you for being a God that looks at David after all that he's done and said, that's a man after my own heart. Because I could relate to that man. I could relate to dropping the ball. I could relate to not being perfect, to being a failure, to not having it all together, to, to knowing how to avoid sin and still messing. I could relate to that. And so thank you, Jesus, that there's redemption, that there's restoration, that there's forgiveness. And God, I don't know who's here. I don't know who's online, who's listening. But God, I just pray if any of us have moved to despair, would you fill us with hope right now in the name of Jesus? Holy Spirit, breathe in our lungs and in our soul and give us CPR to give us the, the hope and the joy and restore our salvation. And God, I pray there was, there was a couple things that David did. He, he one, confessed his sin. He didn't hide it. He didn't blame anybody else. He owned it and he confessed it. And I pray as, as individuals at church, would we just raise our hands and say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I'm not perfect and here's where I've sinned. And God, as, as soon as we ask for forgiveness, and I know you do this, would, would everybody walk out of here with no more baggage? Heavenly Father, would you completely redeem and restore each of us according to your work and to your purposes? May we use power to advance your kingdom, not our kingdom. Would you help us to avoid sexual sin? And would you help us to always have hope found in you? In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.